electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Dear Gabosa. Uh, John Ford is off today. Today, bend, don't snap, a miss on sales and profit, what results mean for consumer Internet stocks. And Disney's on thin ice. GOP lawmakers confront the company while the stock's near a 17-month low. And then a special day here on CNBC. Do not miss our live interview with the Treasury Secretary and the President of the ECB. That begins in just a few minutes, Dee. Yeah, you definitely don't want to miss that one. We are going to start, though, with Snap and what results mean for the rest of the ad market. Meta, Apple, Twitter, Amazon, those are all up next week. Julia Borson with us to break that down. And Julia, a lot of people taking away from this quarter that this is a company growing its users faster than Facebook and Twitter. That's absolutely right, D. Snap's results show strong corporate fundamentals and also very tough macro headwinds. Snap added 13 million daily active users in the quarter. That was 2 million more than analysts anticipated. The company also forecasts the addition of more users than expected for the second quarter, saying they see a range of as many as 13 million additions in the second quarter. That would be 5 million ahead of expectations. Plus, before Russia's invasion of Ukraine in the beginning part of the quarter, the company said its revenue was growing 44%. Then after the invasion, a number of brands paused spending. And so far in this quarter, growth is down to 30%. But here's the red flag for all the ad-supported platforms. The company guided for between 20 and 25% overall second quarter growth. That indicates expectations that things will get worse over the rest of the quarter. Snap saying the impact from Apple's operating system changes limiting targeting was compounded by macroeconomic challenges, which are now the primary headwinds. They mentioned supply chain shortages and labor disruptions, rising inflation and geopolitical unrest. JP Morgan flagging that this caution is likely to further temper expectations for other online ad names, including Google, Facebook, Pinterest, and others. So the question is whether those others are doing as good a job as Snap has at navigating the ad targeting challenges. And then, of course, Dee will have to see how much all those macroeconomic issues impact all of those other players. Yeah, absolutely, especially since companies like Meta and Google have more exposure to the EU. Uh, Julia, when it comes to that ad targeting, it was interesting. This idea of fingerprinting has been brought up more often. Uh, They were asked about it on the call last night. And it's sort of a side effect from the Apple privacy changes. Can you break that down and how how Snap maybe uses it or wants to reassure their customers that they're not using it? It is the latter, Deirdre. So fingerprinting is sort of the next frontier in terms of minimizing ad targeting. Fingerprinting is a way that companies keep track of who you are so they can better serve you ads. But Snap says they do not use fingerprinting. And a number of analysts have come out and said that Snap is well insulated from a crackdown on fingerprinting because that isn't a technology they rely on. So there, there's going to always be another challenge when it comes to ad targeting, especially these days. But uh, when it comes to this particular fi- fingerprinting, printing issue, Snap is well positioned. 
Julia, we, that, that chart of the last few hours of trade, especially last night, uh, shows you, although the conference call did quickly answer some of those questions, but it's obvious that investors have a hair-trigger response to any hint of bad news on the print. Absolutely. I mean, this was such an, a fascinating sort of microcosm of what's going on in the market right now. We have to, to wonder for specifically these ad-supported companies, these social platforms, how are each of them doing with their own roadmap to accelerate growth? And when it comes to Snap's fundamentals, this is a company that has really figured out many of its challenges. Not only is it growing its user base faster than expected, but it is really had, had accelerated revenue up until that point where it hit that wall um, that was from you know, what happened when, after Russia invaded Ukraine and all those advertisers hit a pause. But then I think there's also this question of who is better or worse positioned when it comes to navigating uh, all those macroeconomic headwinds. And it was so interesting to hear all of the nuance from Snap. And they really did give a lot of detail about what the growth rate was at, in various periods of time to show that they were doing well and then they were just facing these challenges. So um, Snap has figured out how to navigate these Apple operating system changes, but it is an ongoing process. Fascinating uh, quarter last night. But Julia, thanks. As we stay with Snap, the broader market, as you can tell, taking a pretty big leg lower here. Dow's down 520. Uh, got a NASDAQ decline of almost 1%, although it is outperforming uh, down nine tenths. Uh, joining us, Ukenheim's uh, Michael Morris. Talk more about Snap. Uh, Michael, you do cut your guide. I guess, really, it's the second derivative of growth that we uh, are seeing flatten out, right? That's right. That's accurate. Uh, what happens to your forecast? Where'd you take your numbers? Well, we took our numbers down. Um, you know, our, our outlook for the coming quarter is, is in line with the high end of the company's guidance. I think Julia did a good job of, of laying out some of those drivers there and some of the feedback we got from the company. I think there's a bigger issue right now, and, and really it's this kind of intersection of, of concern uh, toward growth stocks overall uh, and expectations that are embedded in the stocks. And so if you look at the changes we made in our model beyond the second quarter, we really did take a more conservative view of, of long-term growth. I think that investors are already there. I think that the analyst community has been a little slower to understand that some of these challenges are going to be sustained. Uh, and I have some concern about stories that are considered reacceleration stories as we go through the year. Uh, there is a lot of uncertainty. I felt like Snap was very transparent about it. I think the stock is still a good value here. I think it's a good long idea, but I think we're in a transition period where people uh, need to start to digest that reacceleration may be challenging. Well, give me some examples of where you think reacceleration is still baked in. Oh, I think look at stocks um, across the board. Um, I'll give you an example of something that came out and uh, just this week would be Netflix and talking about uh, user growth uh, or member growth reaccelerating as you get out in the future. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think we need to take a really hard look at the information we have in front of us right now, what the challenges are in the industry, and maybe take a bit more of a, a, a you know, I don't want to say cautious, but just realistic view of, of the potential for reacceleration. So there's member growth for Netflix, there's advertiser growth, there's things like that. I just think that over the course of the last year, we were very excited about the sky being the limit. And now we're seeing a number of these headwinds uh, that still, you know, we have opportunity for, for some growth for businesses. I just don't know why mm. things inflect upward from here. Michael, that's interesting. I mean, many people have been focused on that slowdown in those Netflix numbers, but you're actually looking for reacceleration this year. Is that right? So is this an opportunity for Netflix? 
So, so for Netflix, when you look at the way they talked about their business and they gave you guidance for the second quarter of two million uh, decline in members, the outlook for beyond that was to return to growth. So that is a reacceleration. Um, I think that so, they will return to growth in the back half of the year. But when I look beyond 2022, do I think that the pace of growth, what they see in the back half of this year, will accelerate further beyond that? I, you know, I'm, I'm harder pressed to give you reasons why that will reaccelerate. So are people too negative on streaming right now? Uh, I mean, we've seen a number of the stocks in the space just get beaten down. But if you're talking about a reacceleration later this year and into the future, what does that mean for content spend for the business models, which a lot of folks have just decided it's not a good one recently? Yeah, well, I think that the pendulum tends to swing too far. Um, anytime we, we, we get a, a more uh, substantial update on information, okay? In the case of Netflix, I think there were uh, two data points in particular that do uh, impair the long-term view of streaming. One is where the company runs into resistance with respect to its member growth. I think that at 220 million global members, that is lower than what the bull case had been historically. And second is the expansion of profitability and what those profit margins look like, where again, I think that the investment community believed we could get well beyond the 20% that they're at right now. Both of those things, I think, impair the view of streaming as a category overall. I do think, however, being negative on every streaming company in every case is very extreme and not accurate. There are differences whether you're streaming music or video, ad-supported or not, sports or not. There are a lot of differences that matter. Um, and so I do think that the pendulum has swung too far uh, to the negative on streaming as a category. Interesting. Uh, with that in mind, uh, Disney this morning, uh, back to levels we last saw in October of 2020. Obviously, uh, you've you got a hybrid uh, a myriad of concerns. There's, um, there's the streaming element. There's this new wave of political risk. Uh, can you just talk about what would take you to what would get you to put a buy on DIS? Sure. I, I, it's hard for me to speculate and say this is the thing I, I would go to a buy on. But I, let me point out a couple things I do think are good about the company and sustainably good that people should uh, to keep an eye on. This company has the most unique collection of intellectual property of any media company in the world. Uh, and I think that that is something that drives sustainable value for a business, whether that is in a traditional television channel, a theatrical release, a streaming platform or a parks business. It's excellent. And so when we think about whether or not we are buyers of the stock, that is very foundational uh, to what, what we think about. That said, at these levels, there still is uh, an expectation of success embedded in the company. And there are headwinds. You've mentioned things in the, in the political environment, uh, things with the, the leadership questions within yeah. that. Uh, there always is recession concern when you're talking about a parks business. So we weigh all of those things and we continue to look at the stock as closer to ver fairly valued here than what we would like to see uh, to put new money to work. Yeah, a lot of external risk factors. Uh, just before I ask you, get back to social media. Michael, to be clear, do you think that content spend is going to continue at these record levels or is it going to ease up a little bit? No, for the near term, content spend is going to is going to continue to grow at record levels. Uh, I think it's a very interesting point, though, because uh, these businesses over the last decade uh, have been trained or rewarded to grow at any cost. And so we have seen nearly every company spend in pursuit Hasn't that changed, of though? subscriber growth. Well, I, I don't think it. I think that uh, the paradigm is changing and you're seeing it. Uh, but I don't think you're hearing from the companies that they're focused on sort of quality or unique spend within their brand. I think you're hearing things like 
doubling down on creative excellence, continuing to grow our spend. Uh, there really isn't a, a, a change in thought process that says we want to be really excellent at what we do at a profitable level. We're still looking at pursuit of growth at almost any cost. Michael, a lot of your names uh, are going to be printing in the in the days to come. Look forward to touching base again. Thanks so much. Sounds Michael great. Morris Thank you. Guggenheim. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and ECB President Christine Lagarde, they are coming up on the other side of this break. You do not want to miss it. Tech Check is just getting started. Got some red on the tape today. The S&P is down by more than a percent. It's been quite a slide since yesterday, as you know, as the Fed chair signaled that 50 basis point rate hike on the table for the May meeting. This is a good time for this upcoming interview. Joining us this morning from uh, Washington, uh, two very special guests with our Sarah Eisen. Hey, Sarah. Hi, good morning, Carl. And yes, I am honored to welcome here ECB President Christine Lagarde and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. We are here at at the Treasury for IMF World Bank meetings. Thank you for doing this. I've wanted to do this with both of you for a long time. It's good to see you both. Thanks, pleasure. Secretary right. Yellen, have to start with the market, which is having another bumpy day, down another 500 or so points on the Dow. And, and it has been a rough start to the year. Are you concerned about all the volatility as Treasury Secretary now and, and the influence that that might have on the country's mood, sentiment, the economy? Your, your predecessor, Stephen Mnuchin, once called the stock market a report card on the White House. Well, um, you know, the stock market, um, I don't take as a reflection of the underlying strength of the economy. I, I think the U.S. economy has been remarkably resilient. And when you think of all the shocks that have afflicted the U.S. and the global economy, the pandemic, now the war, Russia's um, war in Ukraine, uh, commodity price increases, supply chain issues. Um, the U.S. labor market is doing extremely well. And frankly, I take that as the strongest indication of how the economy is doing. And we've continued to create jobs in our, um, you know, back above pre-pandemic levels in terms of output. So I think the U.S. economy has been very resilient in the face of um, an enormous set of shocks. How has it changed, President Lagarde, the war in Ukraine, your view of the European outlook? It has had a, a very um, sad outcome because I'm thinking about the people in Ukraine. I'm thinking about the people who die. I'm thinking about the devastation and the economic severe damage that is, it's inflicting on Ukraine. Now, you will argue that Ukraine is not part of the European Union, but it's applying for membership and it's just next door to us. So it's as if, you know, the ugly face of the war was returning to our shore, which we thought would never happen again. So that's the first, you know, horrible shock that is inflicted just at next door to us. And it, as, as Secretary Yellen said, it has an impact on all our economies around the world but probably a little more so sure. uh, in Europe because of the proximity, because of the geography. It was General de Gaulle who used to say that you can only govern if you know your history and if you have a map of the world. And clearly geography um, speaks loud and clear and we are taking a triple hit, if you will. One is uh, trade, which is luckily uh, relatively minor in a way. The second one, which is major, is commodities. And the third one is confidence. And on these three accounts, uh, it's 
clearly going to lower and has lowered uh, growth and it will have an impact on inflation that it will uh, increase uh, going forward. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's downside risk on growth, upside risk on inflation at a time when all of us were recovering pretty right. strongly uh, after the, uh, the, 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 the biggest waves of the pandemic. So, you know, we, we are in, in this sort of response mode in order to deliver on our mandate. Mine is price stability and yours is the economy. Well, so do you think inflation is going to get worse or do you see it having well, maybe peaked in March? Well, it may have peaked, but look, you know, inflation has been high and I think the shocks emanating from this unjustified attack on Ukraine um, will prolong inflationary pressures. So the outlook is uncertain. Um, as you know, the Fed is taking steps to bring inflation down, but I think we'll have to put up with high inflation for a while longer. Right. And, and, and the ECB, as you've said, is, is focused on curbing the stimulus program. You'll, you'll determine by the data whether you're ready to raise interest rates to, to respond to inflation. Is there growing dissent within the ECB? Are you all on the same page on that? And, and what do you do uh, about some members that want to be a little more vigilant on the inflation fight right now and raise rates? You know, we started that journey, which you described back in, in December, because we are data dependent. We look at our projections. We look at uh, survey. We look at consumers' expectations uh, very, very carefully. We monitor the risk of uh, second round um, from price to wages to prices to see how anchored or de-anchored or re-anchored our inflation expectations are in, in Europe. And we decided back in December that we had to move towards stopping the special emergency purchase program that we had. We did so at the end of March. We decided later on, February and March, yet again reconfirmed that we would be reducing the net asset purchases, which had been the traditional purchase program to support the impact of uh, interest rates. And this is you know, very likely to happen in the course of the third quarter, with a high probability that it will be early in the quarter, if numbers continue to be uh, the way we have seen them. But we have to be data dependent. And we are sequential as well. So we will stop net asset purchases in due course, as I said, third quarter, high probability early in the quarter. And then we will look at interest rates. And sometime after the end of net asset purchases, we will look at uh, increasing interest rates. It's not fixed and set yet as to exactly when we do that. But the journey has been approved unanimously at our last monetary policy governing council meeting. And we are on that path, and we're going to just carry on step by step, as we've agreed. Is, is there a chance that you would not raise rates this year because growth disappoints? You know, we look uh, at inflation numbers. We look at inflation expectations. We look at wages. And we look at how we can best uh, deliver on our mandate of price stability. If the situation continues as predicated at the moment, there is a strong likelihood that rates uh, will be hiked before the end of the year. How much, how many times remains to be seen and will be data dependent. Meanwhile, the Fed has already started raising rates and there are now expectations in the market that we're gonna see 350 basis point hikes over the next few meetings. How many can we handle without the economy going into recession? Well, look, um, 
I strongly believe in the independence of the Fed and um, similar to the comments that President Lagarde just gave, I know they will be looking very closely uh, at incoming data, that their strategy is always will be data dependent. And their objectives are, of course, to bring inflation down and to make sure that inflation expectations remain um, aligned with price stability. But they will calibrate what they think is appropriate to uh, achieve a kind of soft landing with lower inflation, but keeping the economy on track and growing. Wanted to hit on something, Secretary Yellen, that, that you said this week as it relates to Europe, which is you, you told Europe to be careful when it comes to an embargo of Russian oil and gas and that it would be very damaging to the, to the global economy. Can you elaborate on, on what would happen if that does go through? Well, look, I want to make clear it's really up to Europe to decide. We are fully supportive of um, Europe's plan to reduce its dependence on Russia for energy supply over time. We recognize our own situation um, with respect to dependence on uh, imported oil and gas is different than Europe, Europe's situation. And it's up to them to decide what to do. My comment was simply that um, we've already seen a jump in oil prices. Um, oil and natural gas prices have been especially high in Europe. And there is a possibility that, for example, imposing an import ban on Russian oil could boost prices even further. And, um, Raise, raise energy prices further throughout the entire global economy. We've spent a good deal of time this week in the yeah. meetings we've been in worried about the overall global outlook and particularly um, emerging markets um, with high debt that are, have high exposure to uh, commodity price increases. Mm -hmm. um, higher global oil prices could have a damaging effect on the global outlook as well. It's a problem because Europe is currently sending $850 million per day to Russia for, for oil and gas. So how, how do you think about the impact on the economy? And, and do you have a contingency plan if Europe does decide to cut that off? You know, I think the, the comments made by um, uh, Chair Yellen is particularly relevant with respect to the purpose that we have. Is the purpose to uh, implement a boycott, irrespective of what the outcome? Or is the prospect and the purpose that we all pursue to reduce the proceeds that is collected by Russia? And if the outcome of the boycott that would be uh, decided by the Europeans would be to increase what comes into uh, the, uh, uh, in, in, into the treasury of Russia, that's a complete failure of the intended purpose that we're pursuing. So do we, uh, do the Europeans at large uh, look at alternatives, plan B, other sources, diversification of supply, intensification of uh, non-fossil fuel sources? Absolutely. 
the European Commission, together with the European leaders, have decided to actually move towards a complete ban of the supply of coal. coal. And they're now looking, that's what they're saying, I'm not privy to those conversations mm -hmm. at the moment, but they're looking at how we can move towards reducing significantly the supply of gas and finding alternative sources. You may have seen that, uh, for instance, uh, pr President Draghi uh, for Italy has gone to visit a few countries until mm -hmm. he was stopped by COVID uh, to see alternative sources. The German authorities have gone out to Qatar, there are lots of discussions taking place between the US and uh, Europe at suppliers, purchasers levels to find alternative sources of supply. But we need to be guided by the ultimate intent that we have. And, uh, and that, that's clearly underway and under close uh, review and hopefully good news yeah. soon. Yeah. Because of the energy dependence, is, is Europe facing stagflation? Is that a real threat right now? If you define stagflation as a prolonged period of recession and very high inflation, the answer is no on the basis of what we are seeing at the moment. So we're not seeing stagflation either in the baseline that we have or in the scenarios that we are considering. But there is a lot of uncertainty at the moment, which will depend on the efficacy of our sanctions, the scope of our sanctions, any other measures that are taken down the road, mm -hmm. and how the war develops as well. So it's on the basis of current facts that I can say that pretty, you know, affirmatively, but we have to be attentive to what's, what's, what's coming. On, this, on the sanctions front, you know, you also spoke a little bit tougher, Secretary Yellen, on China recently, calling on them to use their influence to end this war yes. in Ukraine and, and threaten that they risk a changing attitude from the, from the global superpowers and the global economy. China has not condemned Russia. They appear to be buying Russian coal, Russian energy. Why are we not putting sanctions on China? Um, look, what we want to be careful of is that China doesn't do anything to undermine the impact of our sanctions, and their continuing to buy coal and oil um, isn't a, a violation, isn't a way of attempting to evade our sanctions. We would like to see China actively work uh, to resolve this, this crisis, and uh, use their relationship with Russia Why aren't they to doing that? help bring this to an end. Um, we hope that they will um, be more active. Um, but I have not seen China um, really undermine the impact of our sanctions and their behavior so far. Do, do you see China as a downside risk, both from what's going on right now in COVID, when they're, where they're locking down a city like Shanghai, and, and also a potential wider geopolitical confrontation or conflict with China? You know, when we look at the, at the, the tail risk at the moment uh, and, and concentrate on China, there, there are some potential tail risks arising out of China. We have suffered the bottleneck uh, period of the COVID. Um, we know now from the Kiel Institute study that there are about 12% of goods that are just pending, waiting somewhere in the world uh, to to unload to arrive at, at, uh, at ports and containers to be, to be driven to destinations. 12%, it's the third time that it's at the highest level at the moment. And there is no doubt that it is related somehow 
to the blockage and the lockdown that is imposed on, on Shanghai because of the Chinese anti-COVID policies. I don't think it's only limited to Shanghai, by the way. I think it goes beyond that. And there are other centers of activity which are reduced, where activity is reduced as a result of the COVID policy. So yes, it is, it is an issue for the rest of the world. It is certainly an issue for China as well, because when we look at the, uh, the projection for growth that they have, it is certainly much lower than what they had expected, expected and were hoping for. And we heard, you know, 4.8% as opposed to 5.5, which before that was even 6%. So domestically, their economy is also uh, taking a, a hit as a result of these uh, anti-COVID policies. And you have to add to that I think the real estate and housing uh, sectors, which are, as we saw in the last few yes. months, also uh, suffering. So yes. it's, it's not a rosy situation anywhere, and it certainly doesn't seem to be the case in China. So we are interrelated. We are um, suffering as a result of that. I mean, I know you said that the U.S. economy is very strong, but, but there are all of these risks. We're talking about slower global growth. We're talking yes. about the Chinese lockdowns, inflation remaining high and perhaps continuing to climb. For, for those investors that have worried lately about a U.S. recession this year or next, what, what do you tell them? I don't expect a recession. Um, obviously, we um, are living in a time that's very challenging and developments in Russia, Ukraine and commodity markets, the Chinese situation, um, these are all risks. Um, and, but, you know, the IMF recently, uh, this week, issued their new world economic outlook, and they downgraded their growth forecast for the United States this year, but they're still expecting uh, growth during the 3. year 7%. of 3.7%, yeah. which is very solid, especially given that we have 3.6% unemployment. But, you know, we have a lot of strengths in the United States. Um, we have just a very strong labor market. Household balance sheets are in good shape. Uh, financial institutions are strong. And that's a strong starting point. So um, there, are, there are risks out there, but I'm, I'm expecting a, a solid year for the real Do economy. Do you worry about a European recession? Well, look, the shocks that the global economy is experiencing have a negative impact on growth and, unfortunately, are escalating inflation. And those are problems to all countries, including Europe. Do you worry about a U.S. recession? We try to support each other. You know, whether, whether we worry or whether we, we, we cheer, uh, I think we, there, is a, there is a great level of, of support and cooperation between us. And this has certainly been rejuvenated, if anything, as a result of the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. You know, it helps finding out where the friends are. Well, and one, one final thing that I do want to mention, because of the war and because I'm speaking to you, who are two of the most powerful leaders who are, are women, which, which often doesn't get said enough, which is the, the female victims, as, as in most conflicts. And I know it's something that you are both thinking about, and President Lagarde, you always make a point of, of talking about those who suffer the most as a result of some of these wars. And that is absolutely the case. I'll tell you something. I think women were the first victims of COVID. When you look at numbers, because we're beginning to collect numbers now post-COVID, you see that those who lost their job most, see that those who cared for elderly most, uh, those who found jobs with great difficulty after the pandemic were much more 
women than men. Numbers are coming in. You know, about 6% of women lost their job out of the pandemic, 3.2% of men did. Just as an example, not to mention the perennial issue of lower salaries for the same job. And if you look at the war, it's obvious that not only women actually have enrolled to fight in the war, so they're brave and courageous, but they're also the prime victims because they're the prime persons who are raped, who are victimized, who are um, you know, killed eventually uh, in the atrocities that we have seen. You know, children and women were not spared of, of these. Women are often used as weapons by the enemies. It's always been the case in wars. I don't think that this one is any different at the moment. Well, thank you for drawing attention to it. Well, well a depressing note to end on, but also an important one. By the way, I yeah. want to mention one. Um, there was, you remember the governor of the South African Central Bank? Yes, she, I do. Uh, she, she knew a bit about war because she had gone through apartheid and, and the uh, outcome Marcus, of that. Yes. yes. And she used to say, men go to war and women clean up the mess. I bet you it's going to be the same yet again. We need more, more female leaders. Thank you both so much for, for taking the time and for doing this special conversation. ECB President Christine Lagarde, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. I'll send it back to you, Carl, in New York. Sarah, uh, such fantastic work. That's our Sarah Eisen uh, with a historic interview in some ways. Amazing to see them together. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, joining us to help us break down some of the headlines we just heard and the, today's move lower in stocks, Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. The lead's going to be that inflation uh, it has peaked perhaps, yes. from Yellen. But there's a difference between saying that and that we're going to get relief on the other side. That's right. She did say we're going to have to deal with elevated inflation for a while to come, even if it has uh, peaked in March. Um, I think that, in general, the conversation portrays that it's a pretty narrow path to a, a soft landing that's going to be uh, you know, somewhat comfortable. I think that's pretty fair, even though, you know, um, uh, Christine Lagarde did say no stagflation. Well, what does it mean even to have a recession uh, or even slow growth with elevated inflation. I think all these, there's this whole spectrum is out there uh, and possible. I think it's what the markets have been really struggling to account for, for for a while now as we have valuations come down and you have a lot of the hot money cool off. Uh, and other interesting thing is the ways in which uh, we're tied to the EU so closely and yet how much more acute their vulnerabilities are Absolutely. right now yeah. for three big reasons, as Lagarde said. For sure. Um, I mean, they are dealing with, in a way, the, the rate shock at the same time they're having uh, this inflation and growth scare uh, is much more dramatic because of where it's coming from in terms of from negative to, to, to positive rates and, uh, and all the rest. So I, I do think that's something that we have to consider at a time when we're also worrying about, um, you know, the China shutdown supply chain thing, Chinese currency acting up. All these things, I think, uh, you know, make for a pretty complex backdrop, even one that we were not used to from last year, mm -hmm. when it seemed like pretty linear path uh, to a good outcome. Yeah, Mike, there is that China piece. And Sarah asked Secretary Yellen about potential Chinese sanctions, but we didn't really get any indication that those were in the works. This is a day when we're seeing those beaten down Chinese ADRs really rebound. Do you think it's a reminder, perhaps, that there is more that policymakers could do that would affect them to the downside, or perhaps a suggestion that they may not actually get through. We may not see anything. You know, obviously there's more policymakers can do, and that has to be one of those risks that hovers out there. It doesn't seem very front burner at the moment mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, if you want to prioritize the things to worry about. I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons to worry about it because we're not already fixated on it. But, um, yeah, I don't know that that's, that's the real immediate swing factor for those stocks. 
clearly, uh, you know, policymakers trying to, to fight multiple, uh, you know, battles here, right? I mean, obviously against inflation, and then you have the, the, the sanctions piece of it. And the complexity of the backdrop, I think, is what has made for the market frustration. Right. Stepping on the accelerator and the brakes at the same time in some ways. Mike, thanks. Uh, Great interview. But thanks to Sarah. Uh, After the break, a lot more on Snap and the broader market. Plus, check out shares of Verizon, the company losing 36,000 phone subs, which was actually less than the 49,000 expected. And shares uh, down almost 6% in what is in admittedly a tough tape. Tech Check will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stocks continue to move lower this morning. The Dow is down now more than 550. Let's talk Internet stocks and some of the seismic changes that we got this week from both a macro and company specific perspective. Our next guest is skeptical of some of the biggest names of the week, including Netflix and Snap. Joining us now, Acme Capital's Haney Nada. Uh, Haney, it's great to have you. What is front and center for tech as we go into the thick of earnings season? What is already baked in? Good morning, Deidre. Thanks for having me. Um, So, look, I think the tech valuations in the public market have been more than cut uh, by half in the last you know, three or four months. It's, the sentiment has gone from obviously growth to profitability. It takes a long time for growth companies to go from the growth mode that they were in to into profitability. So for example, if a company is spending 60 or 70 cents per dollar of revenue for growth, they have to cut that back to 20 to 30 cents. That takes time. Customer acquisition costs, product costs, marketing costs all have to get cut back, and that will take time. And you're starting to see the effects that uh, uh, some of the companies are doing and having on, on their growth rates and on customer acquisitions because of that. So does that mean, Haney, that you think that we've seen a bottom? I mean, you take a name like Meta, which is down another 12 percent this week, more than 50 percent from its 52-week high. Is there an opportunity to pick up some of these names now heading into the season? It all depends on your perspective of what's going to happen to demand. So far, we haven't seen any decline in demands from customers, whether it's a consumer or a business. All of our companies are doing well in their quarters. Their quarterly results are coming in line, if not better than expected. And so if you believe that's going to continue, most of these stocks are cheap. If you believe that we're going to go into a recession and demand is going to decline, I think they're still expensive. Haney, I wonder... um What's your take is right now on, take, for example, some of these work from home baskets of stocks versus, say, a travel basket of stocks. They've almost completely uh, reversed all of the COVID gains. Shopify this morning, pretty much back to a pre-COVID level. Would you expect that trend to overcorrect or flatten out at this point? Well, I definitely think it's overcorrected because they had made gains during COVID. And I think some of those gains are going to sustain um, obviously, the COVID stocks have all had a huge pendulum swing from one to the other. Netflix, uh, Zoom, others have, have, have had that. So I think it's probably overcorrected, but I think it's overcorrected in the same way that growth stocks have overcorrected because of the, the willingness or wanting of profitability from, from uh, investors. Right. What does it do to investment trends? We, we could... We could do it on e-commerce. We could certainly do it on streaming after the week we've had there. I mean, is, is cost discipline now the new religion? Well, it is, but you have to, like, 
long term, what is the best for a company versus what's best for the stock price? I'm a firm believer, and if you have growth and you have a growth opportunity, you should be investing into that. Now, if you're a company that could potentially see slowing demand, you have to be very careful with spending. So sectors that I like right now, or we're like as at, at Acme, are security software software companies. I think there's really interesting software companies, especially in the security space and especially in the industrial automation space, that are going to be counter-cyclical to what's happening in, in the world if we do go into a recession. We're still long frontier tech, whether it's quantum computing, whether it's space, whether it's semiconductors, we're still very long. We have three companies in the portfolio that are public that are doing extremely well because of that. Uh, also, we're leaning in forward, uh, leaning heavily into Web3 and what's happening in the crypto world, especially in the world of utility crypto, not currency crypto. And frankly, some of the regulatory things that are happening are also affecting some of our other portfolio companies in the online gaming space. So there's only 19 states that have online gaming. What's happening in Florida and other states is going to push states to get more tax revenue, and that's going to allow for regulation to open up more gaming. So there's companies like Flutter and DraftKings that are going to benefit from that. Haney, what did you make of Snap's comments on the earnings call last night about their visibility and how the war in Ukraine is hindering that? Is that a red flag for not just some of the other social media companies like Facebook or Meta and Google that have a higher exposure to the EU, but other sectors in tech also? Look, I think um, advertising, especially Europe, in Europe, is going to decline. Advertising is one of the first things that gets cut in times of recession or slow growth. And I think the reacting to that and this part of the war in Ukraine is affecting that. But you know, I think Carl knows my view on social media. I'm not a big fan of social media. Every generation has its own social media app and they use. So I think all of these social media apps will decline over time. And Snap is in particular is more of a communication tool. And there's a lot of interesting things that are happening around the communication tools, right? I mean, there's a whole move to privacy. In Telegram, which is not often talked about, is actually seeing rapid, rapid growth right now. Um, my Telegram is lighting up with new friends joining it every day, mm -hmm. and frankly, less and less action on Snap. So I do think there's going to be a trend to move away from open openness and oversharing to privacy. Right. And I think you're, that's just the beginning of what you're seeing here in Snap. And it's frankly, all the things they're doing with AR and VR, to me, it's, it's a distraction. It's a red that's herring. What I was, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Snap might say that it's, you know, focusing on that next leg of growth in the future, which is AR, VR, but you're just not buying that? It's, it's, it's going to take too long. It's going to take five then. plus years before it's really there. And there hasn't been a killer application yet. It's a novel gimmick right now, but it's not really a truly interesting application that consumers are flogging, uh, flogging to right now. Yeah, one that they've still got to monetize as well. Uh, Haney Nada from Acme Capital. Thank you, Acme Thanks. Capital. Meanwhile, guys, uh, selling is accelerating here. Dow session lows down 575. VIX back to 25. All sectors red with significant pain in healthcare, materials, and communication services all down 2.5%. We'll be right back. We continue to watch the markets, and the NASDAQ is now down about one and a third of a percent. Biggest laggards are pharma names like Dexcom, Intuitive Surgical, Align Technology. Carl, a little further down on this list, but not much is Alphabet shares. They're down more than 3% right now ahead of earnings next week. Indeed, and coming up, why one Wall Street firm says gaming is the best opportunity in media. Tech Check is back after a quick break. 
keep saying session lows. It's true once again. Dow's down 600 plus. Uh, we are at the lows of the session. S&P down more than 1.7 percent. Dominic Chu has more on what's moving within tech, at least. Dom? Well, well it's, it's interesting, Carl, right? Because the NASDAQ trade is, I mean, it, it's, it's maybe splitting hairs, but it's actually outperforming today. The NASDAQ overall is only down about one and a half percent. And I say only a little tongue in cheek because you just mentioned session lows for the Dow down about one and three quarters percent. But if you take a look at why this is important, because we are now at a level, if you go all the way back to the record highs that we saw last fall, this move lower today is not at the lows that we saw over the course of the past year, but it brings us to roughly down 20 percent from those record high levels, indicating perhaps what some traders out there referred to as bear market territory, this pullback of 20% or so from the record highs that we've seen. So keep an eye on the NASDAQ composite. If you drill down into the parts of the market, there is a focus on what's happening with that technology and communication services trade right now, because over the course of the past week, it has been an underperformer in many ways over the broader market. Technology has actually been outperforming a bit. The S&P 500 overall is down about one and a half percent. But the communication services sector, no surprise there, Netflix, a big driver of that seven and a half percent downside. So that green line there is certainly something to watch. Industry-wise, within technology and that overall tech trade, three of the key parts to watch right now are the outperformance that we are seeing in semiconductors. You can see there one of the key ETFs that tracks is only down about one quarter of one percent. Meanwhile, cloud computing is down about six percent. And the Crane Shares China Internet ETF, a lot of those stocks are part of that big NASDAQ 100 trade, down about eight percent right now. Within stocks, the stocks that you want to watch, though some of the worst performers over the course of the past week, in this overall technology trade, the NASDAQ trade overall, have been Netflix, no surprise there on that earnings disappointment. PayPal and Meta Platforms, big as well. And then ARC, uh, the ARC ETF, Deirdre, by the way, is now down roughly 60% from the highs that we've seen over the course of the last year. So it gives you an idea thematically mm-hmm. of what's happening with that trade. Yeah, we thought it might be a bit of a net uneventful week for the for stocks, but the Nasdaq now on pace for nearly 3% of losses this week. Uh, Dom, thanks so much. An extended interview with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and ECB's Christina Lagarde on the show today. If you missed that, make sure you follow and subscribe to our podcast to catch up. Tech Check is back in just a moment. If you thought earnings were busy this week, just wait till next week. We're going to get Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft, Meta, D, along with a ton of other big industrials, Boeing, Cat, GE, 3M, Pepsi, Texan, and a bunch more. Yeah, we are going to be really busy. Remarkable to see the action today. Alphabet just suffering so much more than some of the other big tech names. And that's certainly something to watch out for next week, Carl. What we've seen so far in 2022 is a divergence in these big tech names, not all enjoying the same kind of success that we've largely seen over the last few years. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, some of them are going to earn those valuations. Some maybe meta further to fall or come back. Yeah, there was some discussion that uh, the Fed speak had quieted down this week and the market was zeroing in on some of the good earnings. But today that definitely uh, reversed as we're down 600 still. And the VIX above 25 is going to be something to watch. So get lots of rest over the weekend. Brace up for next week's data. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. 
See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.